0: Time in the passage of scripture, and we'll answer the questions. And uh, I won't take them up or grade them or anything. I just want you to spend some time looking at the at the uh, passage of scripture that we're going to be covering. Uh, also, let me mention uh, a, plague, a plug. A uh, plug. After we finish this, have one more lesson, which is next week, and then we start the institute classes. I will be teaching uh, the book of Ephesians. And so if you'd like to be in that class, if you'll sign up in my, on my sheet out there, they'll put us in. We'll look forward to that time. I always love teaching, and I hope you love listening, because I love talking. So we'll be glad to do that. I want to say a little bit about Pastor Hurst. Uh, whatever I say is not going to be enough. We've worked together now for about 25 years. We worked six and a half years in Tampa together. And then uh, when I moved up here... He had some other things going, then we came, he came on 19 years ago. So 19 years here, six and a half years. Uh, he is closer than a brother would be. Uh, his fingerprints are on everything. If you uh, have been around, you realize that there are many things that uh, he does that no one ever sees. But uh, the thing he does, I think best, is touching many of our lives and making a positive impact. Uh, the class he teaches, just his interaction with you... The time he spends with the folk and helping, so I hope tonight will be a. That, by the way, that thing, Mike, that that last thing you did this morning, morning service was so appropriate, and that was wonderful, and what a what a great idea to do that, and what a blessing it was to me and to them, and we're so glad. And uh, it's going it's a bittersweet day for me. We've been together so long. Now it's almost like you know cutting off your arm or something. But uh, we know this is the right time. They believe it's in God's will, so we're looking forward to hearing. What the next thing is as they move to Florida and take up new responsibilities or retire or sit at the beach, you know, whatever they do. uh, And I I assure you, they will find ways to minister to people because that's their life. Well, we've been talking about uh, the the family. This is the lesson on discipline of children. I told Pastor Todd, I'm going to give you about three lessons in one, so hang on. Uh, We're going to give you a lot of stuff. But maybe some of it will stick and some of it will make an impression on you. But there are several things we need to understand. First of all, we all have a fallen nature. And we have a tendency to desire things our way. Amen? Amen. And by the way, your children do too. It is really hard to look at your children in the face and realize they have a fallen nature. My father, who is not, was not particularly sentimental about things, one time in all seriousness, told me now, now you've got two boys and one girl and you do not spank girls just the boys that he told me that my dad was a pretty smart guy but that was, that was he told me that until one night we left them with Sue Ellen while we went to <laughs> choir practice and the plan was they were supposed to uh, get dre- get her dressed and come to church after a little while you know well when it came time to get her dressed, my sweet, angelic little girl fell on the floor and wouldn't get up and wouldn't put her clothes on. So my father changed his opinion at that moment <laughs> to realize that we all have a fallen nature. And uh, after we're saved, God starts the process Of changing us into the image of Christ. And all that process is described in the passage we're going to look at tonight. It's a wonderful process. It's it's an amazing thing that God does for us. But that same process is our model for how we raise our children to take them from this little beautiful baby that God gives us to a child. By the way, quickly they walk out our door. Uh, Some of you have even said that to me. You took your kids off to college. And you said, wow, this is the last one, or this is the senior year. You know, we've been through all that. I remember when we uh, left Jeremy, our oldest, a- at college. Uh, you know, we went up there, and we planned to hang out two or three days, kind of get him settled, and he let us know right away he was ready for us to leave and come back home. You know, and we, we did the best we could with that information. But, uh, that's, but you know, this process is called Chastisement. Uh, it is a, a broad word. We're going to give you a definition in a bit. Um, the, world, the world looks at child rearing in a totally different way. And the way we're going to do it tonight is, is to see, Lord willing, uh, the Bible, the Bible way. What does God say about how we're to raise our children? What, is the, what are we to do? Uh, I remember uh, some years ago I heard a, a woman talk about her child and, and said that uh, you know, the child was calling them ugly names. And when they were correcting her her, as a girl, then she would just scream and call them names and ugly names. And here's what the child psychologist said. He said, let the bad feelings out and good feelings will sprout. (laughs) I'm serious. And the guy was a PhD. (laughs) But let me clue you in. There is an inexhaustible supply of bad feelings. And if you let it out, it'll come out even more. It's like turning the water faucet on. So here's the challenge for parents. Recognize that all children have a sinful nature. Even yours. Now, grandchildren, that's another, another story. Amen. It's the, your children. You know what you do with grandchildren? You spoil them and send them back to mom and dad to straighten them out. That's kind of what you have to do. That's our, that's our duty. <laughs> I'll tell you one story about that. Our oldest grandson, Robert, who's now a pastor, by the way, he made it through. uh, He stayed with us. His his mom and dad were going to the wilds for a conference of some kind. And so we stayed. He was a little guy. And he stayed with us for a week. So we had a a great time. You know, grandparents have a great time with their grandkids and do what I said. You spoil them and do all that stuff. And so when he got home, uh, I called his mother. And I said, well, how, how is Robert doing? Well, he's doing okay, but... He doesn't like to be told no. Oh, so that's not my fault. Well, <laughs> I didn't tell him no. <laughs> so you understand these things that I'm going to say don't apply to grandparents. They only apply to parents. But recognize that your children have a fa- fallen nature. What does that mean? Now listen, listen carefully. They will challenge authority. They will exhibit selfishness and anger they will learn to manipulate parents to give them their own way. I want all the parents to say amen. 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 You've seen all that, haven't you? I mean, that's a true thing. They all will do that. That is what we do. That's how our sinful nature is evidence. So, parents must recognize the, the, the problem and participate in the preparing of the children for the road. I mentioned one of our school teachers told me that in their school they said, we don't prepare the road for our children, we prepare our children for the road. Expect, in a very, very short time, your children are going to walk out of their door and face life. And how they face life and how they respond to difficulty and the goals they have is largely depending on how you train them up and how you teach them. In other words, when they challenge authority, they must... Be taught they cannot win when the little kid says, While well, you're cooking supper, I want a glass of water, and you say, I'm cooking supper, I want a glass of water, and you say, Well, I'll be I'll, just a minute, give me a chance. I'm cooking supper, I'll be I want a glass of water, so you stop and give them a glass of water. What did you just teach them? You get what you want when you cry, right. Or when the kid falls down the floor and pitches a tantrum, and you say, "Okay, what what was it you wanted?" Now, Becca Horton had an interesting thing. I heard her say it first time I ever heard. Maybe other people have said it, but I heard it when she said it. It rung a bell about me. She said, "There's a difference in teaching and training. Teaching is what you say. Training is what they do. You see it. In other words, you can say all you want to, but until they learn to do what they're told to do, and and and." Obey what you're telling them. You haven't trained them, and training is our business. They're, they will be selfish and angry when they do not get their way. We, they must be taught proper behavior and restraint when they act that way. They will desire to manipulate adults to have their own way. Parents must learn to recognize this manipulation and stand up for right. My children... My angelic, wonderful children, who are just delightful, used to say, Daddy, can I go to the mall with my friends? You know my first question? Did you ask your mother? Why would I say that? What did mother say? Well, she said I couldn't go. Then the answer is, you can't go. You mean a child would try to work mom and dad against each other? Oh, heaven help us. Of course they would. And they're good at that. And the more they get away with it, the better they get at it. To get what they want. They're basically selfish. Now, the definition of chastisement, and this is a broad, it's a broad word and a broad definition, but I mean, let me read it to you. Here's what it says. Chastisement. The training and education of children. Cultivation of the mind and morals. Includes reproof and punishment. Includes training, curbing passions, self-discipline, and basically to make disciples. So, chastisement, you know, when we read the word, we think it's a punishment type thing. But it's really far more than that. It includes correction. It includes fixing things. But it also includes the whole wide process of raising a child. Of what our responsibility is before that child walks into our, our, out of our house. We saw last week, children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is His reward. God gives us children so that we can train them to go forth and do the will of God. That's what we have children for now. We love them. They bring great delight to us. Uh, we have a wonderful time with them. Uh, Childhood is a challenge, but it's not terrible. It's wonderful. I can honestly say that we, we loved every, every phase of their life. We had three children in less than three years. It was a wonderful day when we gave away the last diaper bag. I could finally wash my car with those clothes. We use cloth diapers, you know, you could have, it wash your car. The fact is, we had three kids, and they were all normal kids. And it was a challenge, but every single part, when they were babies, when they were little toddlers, uh, all the way up through when they were in high school and college, and even today, uh, they're a great delight. Now, I want to read to you, just without much comment, about the Bible picture of child rearing. We, we talked we talk, we talk about marriage. If I can talk about the marriage, the marriage relationship that God designed, that in our culture, this sounds strange. If, you, if, the, if the average person out on the street read this, they'd go, my goodness, that's, that's radical. It is radical. But it is the truth. And Christians must wrestle with that. Am I going to obey God or am I not going to obey God? Listen, folks, God's way is not just the best way. It is the only way. And so, and here's the other thing you need to understand. We've mentioned this several times, but listen, it is, it is so important for you to grasp this. When you do things God's way, you have God's power behind you. Amen. You have God's help. When you, when you stretch yourself, it's like going on a mission trip. Mission trips are amazing things. Because when you go out there and put yourself out, suddenly you know the presence of God in a way that you haven't known it before. It's a, it's a, wonderful, it's a wonderful thing. Anytime you take that step to, to do something for God. And by the way, there are many jobs around Maria that need to be done. We have people who moved and, and, and great people who served. There are jobs that need to be done. And if you would put yourself in one of those places and let God use it, you would find out how marvelous it is. So I want to read to you. Just a few verses. Uh, By the way, at the end of of the class, if if, if I don't forget and you remind me, I've got a a sheet of scripture verses for all the parents to take home with you. No comment, just scripture verses that you can read over and remind yourself. Ephesians 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Look at this, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. An undisciplined child, it will not be well with them. They'll have problems all their life. They'll run into things. They'll run into themselves often. And you, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. If you're foreign and discipline, makes your children angry. You've not done it right. I can't spend time. I'll be for, we'll be here till nine o'clock. God says, listen carefully. Psalm 32, I will, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Now, every church-going person knows about this. Will guide me with thine eye. The children are sitting on the second row over here. And they begin to wiggle and squirm and misbehave. I'm going to guide them with my eye. Right? Anybody's mom ever did that to you? You know, little old mama looks at you like that. And all of a sudden you go, hmm? that, That's what God, now listen. God says he'll do that. He's not hitting you over the head. He's guiding you with his eye. But now look, here's the next verse. You'll get it. Be not as the, as the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near to you. Do you get the point? Do you want God to guide you with your eye? Or you want to be a horse and a mule that somebody's got to lead you around by a bridle? And that's about the choice, you know. You can choose your own way. You can be stubborn. You can resist instruction if you want to be. But you're only going to hurt yourself and it ain't going to turn out good. Believe me. Proverbs. Fools make a mock at sin, but a unrighteous righteous there's honor. Fools. Sometime for a Bible study... Go through the book of Proverbs and identify these people. The fool, the scoffer, and the wise man. It's an interesting study because those kinds of people are around. A fool makes a mock at sin. A scoffer encourages others to get into sin. A wise person listens to instruction and does better. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Proverbs 16, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit, and he that taketh a city. Obvious angry response is a danger sign. If someone is angry, a child. Children get angry. If that is their response, that's dangerous because it says if, if they're slow to anger, they're better than the mighty. Proverbs 26, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Proverbs twenty two fifteen: foolishness, listen to this one, is bound the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive far from him. It is normal for children to do foolish things and to be foolish, but they, they have to be corrected. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen: He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh him shall find mercy. Remember, God resists the proud and give up the grace to humble. One of the things Pastor Hurst and I often we often had to work together on discipline problems in the school. If you have a school, you've got discipline problems, and so we often had to deal with some difficult discipline problems because that was our job. And we found out that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, and that's the way we should be. If someone comes in, they're broken, they're they're sorry, they have an honest repentance, then you tend to be easier on them than the one who comes in and tries to make an excuse and tries to tell you why they're not responsible for what they did. So God resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Proverbs 29, scary verse. He that being often reproved and hardened his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Rebellion results in disaster. Uh, boy, we, when a child is that far down the road with rebellion, uh, be, there's, a, there's a crane wreck coming down the road. Verse, uh, Proverbs 29, Rod and reproof, give wisdom. Listen ladies, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Rod and reproof give correction, but a child left himself. Proverbs 29 and 17, correct thy child, correct thy son, he shall give thee rest, yea, he shall be delighted unto thy soul. So let's look, if you would, at Hebrews chapter 12 and look at the model. It's a wonderful thing that we can find an absolutely perfect model, and that is, of course, our Lord. Uh, and this passage uh, unashamedly connects the two things, raising children, and the relationship that God has with us. In Hebrews chapter twelve, look at let's look at verse six. Very important, very important idea. Verse six: For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, and scourgeth every son who receiveth. If he endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Now remember, we're born with a fallen nature, a tendency to sin, a tendency to want things our way, tendency to be angry. When we are saved, God begins a process of changing us and perfecting us and removing those things that are hindrances to our testimony and to our life and to our influence. So what he's talking about, that God is the one who does it, but he does it with love. Now, if you don't get anything else, get this. When we deal with our children, it must be obvious, demonstrated, consistent love. They should never doubt that we love them. They should never doubt that our that our Desire Our plan is good. It is to help them. Now, part of the problem, part of the problem is that Christians, many Christians, seem that everything that comes into their life that they don't like is some kind of a punishment for something they have done, some sin of the past. Now, that, that does not match the model. Here, we see that God brings things into our life to change us. And he does it out of love, not because he's angry with us or he's punishing us, but in order to make us aware of what we're doing, make us aware that we need to change and to to be part of the process of changing us into his image. So God is our father. What What an amazing statement is that? And we're his sons. And he has taken on himself the rearing of his children. And that's us. So these things that God brings into our life, this this mixture of things, good things, hard things, uh, wonderful things, mountaintops, valleys, all those kind of things that God does to accomplish his purpose of making us like Christ. It's an expression, his discipline is an expression of love. But listen, discipline without demonstrated obvious love is perceived as harshness. Uh, If a child does not believe you love them, if a child does not know that you love them because you you show that, you demonstrate that, not only by what you say, but what you do, then that correction, oftentimes from a child, comes across as harshness. So we, in this case, demonstrate, we we try to copy our father. David makes this statement in Psalm 23, one of the most well-known passages in all the Bible. He says, "This thy rod and thy staff they comfort me." Have you ever thought of what that means? The shepherd and the sheep, the rod and the staff. The rod—it was one one stick. You've seen the picture. It's a crooked stick like this. You know, one end is this way, and there's a straight part. The the part that's the straight is is the rod. This part is the staff. David said, "Thy rod and thy staff they." Comfort me. Let me explain. When the shepherd is, is walking the sheep and a sheep begins to be obstinate and running running out away, getting away from the shepherd. By the way, a sheep is, is helpless, is defenseless. And running away from the shepherd is the worst thing he could do because he's going to get hurt and get killed, perhaps killed. The rod was the thing that he would poke the sheep to get them back into line. Do you get it? But what was the staff? When the sheep fell down in a crevasse or in a ditch, the shepherd would take that stick and that that staff, that rod, and that staff rather, and pick up the sheep and put them back in. See, the <laughs> shepherd, our shepherd, corrects us and then lifts us up. We need to be those kind of parents who not only correct our children but help them and lift them up. The purpose of chastisement is not punishment. It is to make us better. Look, if you would, at verse 11. Verse 11 says, Now, no chastening for the present seemeth joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Uh, There are things that come into our life that are not pleasant. They are sent to us. By the way, All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, you know what all means, don't you? That means all all things. That means the good things, the hard things, the difficult things, the puzzling things, the painful (coughs) things. All those things are what God puts into our life when we need it in the amount we need it in order to change us and to make us what we need to be. It includes correction. You know, sometimes coming to the end of ourselves or finding out that the fruit, the way of the, the transgressor is hard, that's, that's a good lesson to learn. Uh, next week, we, we talk about the, the way we're a child. Uh, we'll have some lessons about that. I think they will help you to understand a little bit more about that. But the purpose is not punishment to make us better. Verse 5 he talks about rebuke, means to reprove, to expose, to admonish, to correct behavior, but not attack character. Uh, to be rebuked is to reprove or expose. In other words, God sometimes has to correct us, to change us, to make us realize we're doing wrong. Correct means to instruct as a teacher, and particularly in verse 9, he talks about submission to authority. Listen. A, a child who does not learn to submit to authority is going to have a rough road. You ever met anybody like that? i met lots of them. And when they, when they will not submit to the proper authority, they're going to have a problem all their life. They're not going to be a good employee. They're not going to be a good husband or wife. I mean, they've got some major issues, see. So this matter of correcting us, particularly in verse 9, it talks about the submission to authority. In verse 10... He, for our profit, partakers of his holiness. You see, all this, all this that God is doing is not for, to, to make us angry or to, to do us harm. It is to do us good. It is to make us better. It is to get our life where it needs to be. So he does what he does, not, not for punishment, for, but for our profit. And then he talks about the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The pe- Why do you call it the peaceful fruit? Here's, here's what I think it means. Instead of a constant battle for control, peace, because the decision has been made to do right. You know, when uh, when you're fighting the battle, and I know that sometimes in, uh, let, me, let me stop right here and, and give you a little princess. Some parents, some parents that I've known, have standards and, and, and fences and all those kind of things they need until their children become teenagers. And then they take them down because of the pressure of the teenager. The teenager wants, that they, they they want they intimidate the parents, they make the parents, you're old fashioned, you know, all my friends are doing this, what are, and nobody, nobody, nobody acts like this but you. Let me tell you something. When we raised our children in high school, Pastor Hurst was our school principal. Uh, the biggest criticism we received was from other Christian parents. And they would say, well, why, why can't your child come and just do this? Well, because they they can't. And that's what we believe. And well, if, you know, we're Christian too. Yeah, I know that. But my name is Sweat, and their name is Sweat, and they're going to do what I say. So, but... If you let, you know, if you, as the child gets older and begins to, to push the, the boundaries and begins to try to intimidate you and, and, and bully you into letting them do what they want to do, that is a road to destruction. Amen. So understand, the, ba- the, the peaceable fruit of the righteous means you lay down the sword. I'm not going to find any more. I've decided to do right. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to push all the rules. I'm not going to try to break out and do what I want to do. Now, we understand the goal of, of Chastamon is not... <clears throat> anybody, well, you wouldn't admit if I asked. Watch Hallmark movies. If anybody ever watched a Hallmark because I never you know, ever would do that sort of thing. Here, here's a favorite phrase. There are two favorite phrases. Just follow your heart. Do you know the heart is desperately wicked? Right? But here's the one I was just going to refer to. Here's a choice to be made. You know, am I going to marry Larry or marry Hal, you know? I just want you to be happy. Happy. So the goal of raising children is for them to be happy. And the other goal for children I want to have a good job and make lots of money. Let me tell you something. The most miserable people I ever met, and I've met a lot of them, are wealthy people and they're miserable. Money does not make happiness. Some of the happiest people I ever met have been in the Dominican Republic, in Africa, on the island of Yap, all the places we've been, that are the happiest people you ever met, and they have nothing. I mean, we, we wouldn't even live five minutes in the situation. they live in every day. I was looking. I get I get uh, some response on Facebook. Some people I know, and one of the one of the African friends held up. He said he was so thrilled that God gave a. He had a big old thing of peanut. They call them ground nuts in Africa. And we, I get to pull up my ground nuts. And he was so thrilled with that. How many of you would be rejoicing if you went outside and pulled up ground nuts? But to him it was a blessing of God. So the fact is, what is the goal to have my children do the will of God for their life? Now now let me go back to this, this, this premise. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. In other words, we are created by God, every every one of us. One of the most ridiculous statements anybody ever makes is little cookie, cookie cutter Christians. Look around the room and tell me which one's like the other one. We're all different, aren't we? And that's the way God made us. But he made us to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. He gives us everything we need He will give us the power and the strength if we follow him so when when I decide to go my way then suddenly I'm not going to be happy but following the Lord by the way I have never met not one in my life I'm old I've never met a rebellious teenager that was happy never in all my life ever one not, not even one I've never met an, an, a rebellious adult who was happy. Because happiness comes when we follow the Lord and do His will. And we are, and this, the satisfaction comes when we realize we're doing what God intends us to do. And it doesn't mean we have to go to the mission field to be a pastor, but I mean, whatever it is that God equipped me to do. Pastor Todd mentioned a great thing, that, you know, God didn't equip me to be a carpenter. Or, or anything with sharp edges on it. We built our first building back here. The only thing they let me do was sweep. I had to sweep up. That, that, that couldn't come close to anything that ran a motor or anything like that, and that they, they were protecting the pastor, you know. But, you know, there are things that God equipped me to do that some of them couldn't do. And we're all like that. Every one of us are made that way, and so our purpose should train up a child in the way that, say it, that he should go and when he's old he'll not depart from it. by the way when he's old he'll be looking back on his life thinking well what a great life I've had I've been able to accomplish what God me here to do response of chastening there are two mentioned verse 5 here's, here's the way it, it, it says it in verse 5 but you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children now get this my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Two, two responses that are bad. One is to despise, and that word doesn't, doesn't mean to hate, it means to take lightly, it means to not not pay any attention. Look, I taught young Mary class for years in Chicago. And I used to tell them: look, if you don't learn the lesson, when God brings something to your life and you don't learn the lesson, you're gonna to have to hear it. you've got to go through it again. It's like school. You know, that you, you don't get promoted. You got to go back the. why? God will knock knots on your head. And you can save a lot of knots on your head if you just do what God wants you to do. Because if you're his child, he's not going to give up on you. He's not going to let you go your own way. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. One of the questions on the next week's sheet, why did the son choose to go back home? Ponder that one until next week. We'll talk about that. So to despise, it means must, to to take it lightly, hey, that means that our discipline must make an impression. When whatever we do must make the point so they get it. If they just, if they, you know, I heard that before, or whatever, however they respond, roll their eyes, whatever they do. To faint means to quit, to give up. It sounds like, oh, I can never be good. I can never please you. I never, I can never do right. That means that discipline must be a closed-ended, must be closed-ended, and have an encouraging element. One of the things when we dealt with our children, I learned. I'll, I'll deal with this in, some, in a moment, a little more detail. But uh, when, when, when the when the session was over, it was over. There were two things that were not allowed. After the session was over, the kid had done wrong, I, I would say now, first of all, you, you come, when, you, when you go, wash your face, wipe your tears, then come downstairs. Don't come downstairs angry. By the way, every single time, every, not every single time, the first response of my children during a discipline time was to hug my neck, every single time. Because I loved them, and they knew it. And they love me. And they responded the way they should. So to despise, but, but to faint, to, to feel like, to, to be so hammered on that you feel like you never can do right is not effective either. There has to be that encouraging. Because here, here it says they just faint. They just, you know, this, this Christian, when God puts in their life, instead of getting better, instead of trying to do better and, and correct themselves, they just give up. Well, that's not the way a family should be. The family should be encouraging what they do and, and not, not uh, uh, to work on their character. To be exercised is the other response. The first, the first response, the first two are bad, to despise to faint, but in verse 11 it says to be exercised. The word is gymnazo, gymnasium. In other words, let those things in your life Work on you like a workout does, and work. You're not going to get it right the first time. You're not going to come out of that session a great hero Christian. It's going to take time. It's going to take commitment. It's going to take time to to get through that and get it through your head and to learn how that is. But don't faint, but rather be exercised. In the passage, it's such a wonderful passage because it gives us help as parents. Here's a here's road now I want you to look over it. I hope you'll hope you'll look at this carefully. Now no chastening. verse 11 just follow along with me for the present seemeth joyous but grievous nevertheless afterward it yieldeth peace of through to righteousness unto them which exercise thereby. Now in your mind remember that not everyone is going to be exercised. not everyone is going to respond the right way. Now with our children, there is a list of things that get progressively worse. So the first, the first response that is bad, that will, and, and this is for your, your benefit as you're dealing with your children. This list is one you need to be well, well acquainted with. When, when you face them about something, you, you want to help them correct themselves, or to fix things. Here, here's the way it looks. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. What does that sound like? Lift up the hands that hang down the feeble knees. That's a, that's a metaphor. For what? Discouragement. discouragement. Yes. Depression, discouragement. I just can't do it. I, and, and, you know, that, that's a response. Sometimes that's the way the children respond. But that's not the, the next one. Look at this. Make straight the paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but rather let it be healed. What does that mean? Make straight the paths for your feet. In other words, they tend to get off the pathway. They tend to leave the pathway. It's too hard. But I don't like it. I don't like being told what to do. I had a good friend who was a preacher who said he was 17 And he was so tired of his parents telling him what to do all the time. He joined the Marine Corps. (laughs) You got got the point. Uh, So the second second step is to leave the pathway. To say, hey, you know what? I'm just going, I'm not going to do this. It's not the way I want to be. That's the second step. But look at the next one. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which... No man shall see the Lord. There's anger. Angry. Have you ever known anybody who's angry all the time? They're just angry. They're angry, they're angry with everybody. They're angry with their mom. angry with dad. angry with people at work. They're angry with everybody. Hey, that's the third step away from God. The, the third. This is for a Christian now. For the third step away from knowing you're doing God's will and being changed and letting God change you. Anger is the third step. Verse 15. Looking diligently lest any man fail the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. Thereby many are defiled. Bitterness is a defiling (coughs) emotion. Bitterness is anger that is internalized and fertilized. It is something that doesn't hurt the person you're bitter about. But it hurts you. And here's what it does. Now listen to me. It poisons the well of your emotions. When, when I was doing counseling uh, a lot, sometimes you would be talking about whatever, 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 and all of a sudden, you know, Bow! Vesuvius goes off. That bitterness was in there, and and what happens is, people like that find themselves saying things, angry things. Uh, hateful things, lashing out, that's bitterness. It, it poisoned the well of emotion. Now we're way down the road here. Let's hope, let's hope your kids never get to that point. Now look at this one. Lest there come any fornicator or profane person as Esau who for a morsel of meat sold his birthright for you know, now get this one, that afterward, when he, had inherit, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. There was no way back. Now, it, now please understand, this is talking about a person's life, a Christian's life. It doesn't mean that God can't forgive them but it means there are some things that can't be re- cannot be re- recovered. Remember when the, the prodigal son left home? He was welcomed back. He got a robe and a feast. But what didn't he get back? He never got his inheritance back. Uh, families. Anger. Divorce. Children hating their parents. And, and you know, That may never be fixed. There there, there are times you cross a line, and that's exactly what that's the point of this thing. Esau could never go back. He he sought it with, he wanted that her birthright, but he couldn't, it was gone. And sometimes marriages that are broken apart because of all the wrong things can never be put back together. Sometimes children who have chosen a bad way, can never be recovered. Now, again, please understand, I'm not saying they can't be forgiven, but that relationship, sadly, sadly, I've had to work with families where there was a, a moral failure, a husband and wife. That's one of those most difficult things to deal with because the trust you know those kind of feelings it's very very difficult to ever ever put that back together now by the grace of god it it can happen it does happen but i'm saying those kind of things really make it very challenging so so the list now here's here's some words and i'm done with this i just want to give you a few things never discipline in anger Fusion's forces, be ye angry and sin not. Um, with my children, uh, I would say, go up to your room, I'll be up in just a minute. That was on purpose. First of all, I, I, wanted, I didn't want to be angry when I'm up there. And by the way, anybody's children ever make them angry? Mm-hmm. That is not when you discipline your children. Because you're going to say something. I'll never forget one time I had a, a lady come in my office, I was in Chicago. And, and she was shaking, literally shaking. And I said, I said, what in the world? She said, well, she said, you know, I have a, a little child. The child was like two years old. And she said, I almost did something to hurt my child. It scared her to death. She was so angry that she almost did something, and it scared her. It should. But I'm, I'm saying the fact is, don't ever discipline in anger. Make sure that you're not angry when you talk to your child. That, that Nothing is accomplished there. Never discipline them in public. My mother had a saying. I don't even know what it means. Maybe one of you people, old people would know. My mother used to say, I'm going to jerk a knot in you. Have you ever heard that before? My mother used to say, I never knew what that meant. I'm glad that didn't because she never had to as far as I know. Oh, well, my mother thought I was perfect. But now she's in heaven. She knows I'm not. But, uh, you know, don't ever, ever, do it, discipline public. First of all, right now, it's dangerous to do that. Uh, the people, uh, they'll turn you in and you can get in trouble take your kids away and you never want to do that to happen. Don't, don't ever do it publicly. public. Here, here's a very important one. Differentiate between obedience and childish irresponsibility. Deal with them in separate, different ways. Disobedience means they say, no, I'm not going to do it, or by by their action, they just rebel and not going to do it. You deal with that one way. When they leave their bike out in the rain, that's a different story. Are you with me? Now, think think with me here. Rebellion has to be dealt with. and has to be, dealt with. Has to be you, can't, you can't do that. No, not going to happen. When they forget their bike, even though that's a that's a your responsibility. What do you do? You take their bike away for a couple of weeks, put it in the garage, and say you're not going to use it now. When you learn to take care of it, then you can have it back. One of the things that I, said, things, that I, my son, I know I told the story before, I'm not saying I'm not forgetting, I'm just telling it against a good story. My son was, in, I think, in the sixth grade, and he, it was his birthday, and he wanted a bicycle. And I had the most, i never forget it, I had the most fun buying his bicycle. I mean, I went out and I looked at bicycles and all over, and I finally found the one I thought was the best one. I was so excited about giving him his bicycle. And then just about a day or two before his birthday, I got one of those teacher's notes that you never want to get. It seems that he had a permission slip that he forgot to get signed, and he signed it. So what do you do? Well, I didn't give him his bicycle, not right then. I let it sit a while and he got to look at it, but he didn't get to ride it. So that was childish irresponsibility, right? Knocking over their milk at the table. Don't jerk them up and wail them on on them because they dropped their milk over. They're just kids. They knocked their milk over. So make a difference between disobedience, and childish responsibility. Next thing is guard your speech. Ephesians 4 is very clear folk. Let no, com- corrupt communi- <clears throat> Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying to make minister grace unto the hearers. Does that include discipline of children? Somebody say amen. 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 Of course it does. We don't have to talk like sinners and, and rail and yell and let no corrupt, I and mean, that's, that's pretty definite, isn't it? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Guard your speech. Your speech should be good and edifying and gracious. And then during our discipline time, expression of love. A clear communication for the reason of discipline. The question I'd always ask my kids, what did, what did you do? I'd make them tell me, what did you do? Why are we here? What are we doing up here? But let me tell you something, folks. I can't, don't ever, ever lose that obvious, express love to your children. So they never, if, if you could just communicate that. So that, hey, you know, you can imagine, I'm a tough guy. And I raised my kids, but I'm telling you, there was never a doubt. There was never a doubt. In all the years we had, and all the things we went through with our kids, they were all human. But there was never a time when they, and you could ask them. If you see them, you ask them, and they'll tell you there was never a time they ever doubted that I loved them, and that what I was doing because I loved them. One last thing, and this is maybe the most important thing that I will say tonight, and I'll be done. Fences are often perceived by the young as restrictions. Fences are 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 understood, perceived as restrictions. We were my wife and I were in Africa in Kruger Park and we came into this area and, and the whole area was fenced in and they said "Now we're going to close the gate here at 5 o'clock and nobody comes or goes after 5 o'clock, the gate's closed now I could have gotten mad about that and climbed over the fence and you know what would have happened? I'd have probably gotten eaten by lions Those fences were not to make me angry or feel hemmed in. They were to keep the animals out. In Kruger Park, that's a good idea. Here's what they would say. You may not see them, but they're always there. So, fences sometimes are perceived as restrictions. However, in the reality, fences are for protection. Now, this is an old illustration, but it's so good. You need to all understand it. Here's the question. As a parent, where do you build the fence? Now, let me, let me, let me show you the truth of the matter. It doesn't matter where you build the fence. They're still going to fuss. It doesn't matter. You can build it anywhere you want to build it. But they're, you're, they're still going to push against the fence. They're still going to give you a hard time. I don't care where you build the fence. So, understanding that, that wherever I build it, they ain't going to like it because kids don't like fences. So here's the cliff. I know you've heard this before. Here's the cliff. Where do I build the fence? Do I build it right on the side of the fence, the, the side of the cliff there on the edge? Well, my kids are out there playing, playing ball, not paying attention like kids don't, and somebody goes out for a pass and they hit the fence and go over... Disaster. Disaster. So where do I build a fence? I go back here and build a fence. Why? Now listen carefully. So that failure will not result in disaster. Think about that. If you build the fence on the edge, when they fail and they will, disaster. But you build a fence way back here, now again, they're not going to like that but they wouldn't like it if it was here either. Understand that. That's their, their nature that doesn't want to be told what to do. Doesn't want to be under, under restraint. But you build it back here so that if they fail, it will not result in disaster. My friend, it is a wonderful thing to have children. I, I, the children are a delight of my life. Nine grandchildren, now three great-grandchildren. I love them all. It's a wonderful time to be with, be with them. We travel the world with all of our grandchildren. Uh, we we love them all the time. It's a great challenge. I love my kids, and I, it's it's fascinating to watch my three raise their children. It's a wonderful thing to watch that. You know, my daddy used to have a saying: "said You're paying for your raising, and they're having to pay for their raising." You know, and uh, but but understand that it, that I may it may sound daunting, but let me tell you something: you can't just whipped. You can't just resign and say, well, I'm just going to let him go because then a child left to himself does what? It brings his mother to shame. You know, it's a wonderful thing to look at your children and smile or to look at your next generation, the third generation and just say, uh, when the, the night before I retired, we had a dinner at the Evergreen Inn. All of my grandchildren were there, all of them at the same table. That, that's a miracle. They were all there, all of them, except for Robert, my oldest. And you know what? He was preaching that night, and I excused him from being there. Mm. But here, 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 the way it was. I was sitting there at that table. It was a wonderful time. I was going to be retired the next day. It was on a Saturday night. And I looked up down that table, and I thought, praise God, there's not one of these children that are an embarrassment to me or that I don't love and I don't care for. I'm proud of every one of them. What a wonderful what a wonderful experience. And, folks, please understand, it's not because I'm such a great guy and we never made mistakes. We made all our share. My, my sons and daughters made mistakes. But let me tell you something. You choose to do God's way. You choose to follow God's plan. And behind that, your life, God will put his authority. And that's important. Amen? Father, thank you for your word that gives us the pattern by which we live. Thank you for our families, our children, our grandchildren. Thank you for the time we've had with them and the, the time to pour into their lives the things they need. Give each one of us great determination to follow your will, to do things your way, that we can, we can raise the next generation to love you and serve you. And I pray, the Lord, you would use these folk in this room today to make the difference for you. And may our families at home be places of love and kindness. And for you're honored where these children go out as, de- as har- arrows in the hand of a mighty man to serve you all their life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.